but it gives you a little picture of uh, what our students were exposed to and what they learned. It truly was a great time, and, you know, kind of the, the theme was that leadership starts at the feet of Jesus, and I uh, hope that you heard um, a number of different times, service, humility, others first, that really is what leadership is about, and really, that's what being a follower of Jesus is about, those same things, and that is going to tie in hand-to-hand with my sermon today. My sermon today is going to be the quest to be great. The quest to be great. What does it mean to be great? Um, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 20. But let, let's talk first of all about that word great. What does that word great mean? Well, in our culture, it basically to be great means you have to be way above normal. In whatever field you're in, you have to be just elite in that field. You have to be somebody that, compared to the average person, you would dominate that person in whatever field you're in. That's what it means to be great. And I was thinking of just trying to come up with a couple of examples, okay? Maybe uh, one from uh, our generation, maybe one from past generations. So this was an example I came up with. One would be Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a brilliant man. Uh, Born in Germany, later moved to the United States, lived his last 16 years here. Uh, his influence on science is still felt today in great ways. He came up with, with different formulas and theories that still greatly influence modern-day science. Uh, he was great because he was brilliant, and everybody knew it. And because of that, he was rich, he was famous, and even, believe it or not, I read up on him, he was a ladies' man. Now, now I, I'm trying to picture this with that hairdo, how in the world he could have been a ladies' man, but somehow he was, I guess because people viewed him as being great. So that's one example. Somebody maybe from our time, I was thinking, who could I use? I came up with LeBron James. Now, I have a constant argument with my son about who the greatest basketball player is of all time. He thinks it's LeBron, and I try to tell him it's really Jordan. But anyway, uh, LeBron, though, in many ways is viewed as, as great. Uh, not only is some view him as the greatest basketball player of all time, some view him as the greatest athlete. The guy's 6'8", 250, he's 33 years old now. I mean, he has, ever since he got out of high school, has been a dominant NBA player for the last 15 seasons. Not only that, but think about this. When he was in high school in Akron, Ohio, at St. Vincent St. Mary High School, he signed a $90 million contract with Nike in high school. Now, how many high schoolers do you know that signed a $90 million contract with anybody? You know, I was thinking, now, hopefully... His class, when they did superlatives, they said, most likely to succeed. Oh, that's LeBron James. They ain't no matter. He's already got $90 million. Um, but when you look at LeBron, people think of greatness. But when we look in the Bible, is it LeBron and is it Albert Einstein, the things that they're great for, is that what we see true greatness is? Is it those kind of things that really make true greatness? Well, the answer is no. We know it's not. That is not what true greatness is. And this morning, what I want to do is, is look. Jesus kind of gives us a picture of what it means to be great in his kingdom here in Matthew chapter 20. Before I read it, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
God, I pray that today as we look at your word, Lord, that you would just help us to, to understand your word. Lord, it's uh, so countercultural what your word says many times. And what the passage we're going to look at today is definitely countercultural. So God, help us to see and hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me kind of give you the setting before we read this passage. Jesus has just finished talking to his disciples. And he has just told them for the third time. He said, guys, the chief priests, the elders, they're going to get me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. And then they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He had told them that. This is the third time at least we know that's recorded in the gospel that Jesus said that to his disciples. And you know, to me, if that is just, if that has been a conversation, you would expect a real somber, you know, m- mood. I mean, people, you know, Jesus is getting ready to die. He's getting ready to suffer. That's what I would expect. But look what it says when we get to verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. It's almost like Jesus just got through saying, guys, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to suffer. It went in one ear and out the other. Because hey, right after that, the Bible says that this mother comes. And this mother was a mother of James and John. Now, I am the youngest of five children in the rector home. I recognize by far I was the most spoiled. I recognize that. I recognize I was the biggest mama's boy in the family, okay? But there's no way I would have ever thought of putting my mom up to what these boys put their mom up to. They put their mom up to going to Jesus and saying, Mom, will you go to Jesus and will you ask him that one day when his kingdom's established, if I can be on his right side and, and, and my brother can be on the left side, will you go to him and do that? And sure enough, she did. She went. She went to Jesus. And she asked. Now, now understand this. Jesus had followers. Uh, we more than likely think most of the time Jesus probably had about 70 people that traveled with him. Especially when he was up in Galilee. He would have, of course, the 12 disciples and, and some other men. But he also had some women that would follow him around. Okay? So we know he had a big group of about 70. But we also know he had the 12. The 12 that he actually chose, chose out. He had those 12 that were with him all the time. But within that 12, he also had three. He had kind of an inner circle. And these guys were with him literally all the time. There were times when some some of the 12, the other nine, wasn't with him. But just Peter, James, and John. A good example of transfiguration. There were only three that was there. And Peter was like, Jesus, I don't think we should be here. And he said, no, it's okay. That was his inner circle, okay? This is two of the three sending their mom to talk to Jesus, okay? Two of them, James and John. They send their mom to talk to Jesus. Now, why in the world would they do that? Why would they they try to do that? Well, I can tell you why. Because of pride. Now, we look at disciples and say, oh, they're they're Saint Peter, Saint... Yeah, we give them those names, but listen... 
These guys were sinners. These guys are just like us. They made mistakes. If you don't believe it, look through your Bible and look at some of the stuff Peter did at times. And Jesus kind of had to, you know, rebuke him a little bit. But they were just sinners. And, and here's what's happening, okay? Just to understand the background of what's happening. If you look before Matthew chapter 20, if you go back like to Matthew 16, what you're going to see in Matthew 16 is Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he says, guys, who do people say that I am? And some say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say maybe one of the other prophets. Then he looked at him and he said, but who do you say that I am? And the Bible says, Peter immediately stood up and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. All the other disciples saw that. Peter was like being lifted up a little ahead of them. Guess who also saw that? James and John, they saw that. Peter being elevated. That's Matthew 16. We're in Matthew 20. Let's move forward. Matthew 17. The Bible tells a story about the temple, uh, the people that took the temple tax. This is different than when they came to him about giving the seizure. This, a temple tax was taken just by the Jews to help keep up the temple. And the people that ran the temple tax came to the disciples and really was coming to Jesus saying, does Jesus pay the temple tax? They want to know. Because not to pay the temple tax was like not to be patriotic to the Jews. And it's interesting, though, if you look at that passage, they come to Peter. It's who they come to. They recognize that Peter was kind of like the spokesperson for disciples. So that's who they came to to ask if he gave the temple tax, which he responded, yes. James and John saw that. Peter elevated in Matthew 16. Peter elevated in Matthew 17. We get to Matthew 18, and Jesus is sitting around with disciples. And then next thing we know, he's in a dialogue with Peter. And Peter's like, Jesus, uh, help me out here. What do I have to do? Do I have to forgive my brother seven times if he sins against me? I mean, seven times seems pretty legit. I mean, if somebody does you wrong four times, five times, six, seven times, I got to forgive? And Jesus says, no, Peter. Try seven times 70. And what Jesus, he wasn't meaning 490 if you do 70 times 70. That's not what he meant. Jesus meant you continue to forgive. And you continue to forgive. And he has this dialogue with Peter right there in front of all the disciples, including James and John. And I believe these guys had seen this and they're like, you know what? Peter's being elevated. We've got to come up with some kind of plan. And you know what? We don't have enough guts to go up to Jesus and talk to him about maybe getting a position. So I tell you what we'll do. We'll send mama. <laughs> That's what we'll do. We'll send mama. And it made sense because their mom was Salome. And Salome more than likely was one of the 70 followers that stayed with Jesus a lot. She knew Jesus quite well because she was related to Mary. Some think she possibly was Mary's sister. Many think she was Mary's aunt. But she was related to Mary. So she related to Jesus. So James and John thought, okay, we'll send. Who can, who can deny a request from a sweet aunt? 
Let's send mama to talk to Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. Point one is this. Nobody can acquire greatness for you. Nobody can acquire greatness for you. They wanted their mom to leverage to help get them a place of greatness. That's impossible. It couldn't be done. Point two, and then we're going to read that passage. Point two is this. True greatness comes with a sacrificial cost. True greatness comes with sacrificial cost. Look what it says. Jesus responded to her request in verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? They said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to set at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant. But it's for those from whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus responds, you do not know what you're asking. You have no clue what you're asking. It would be similar to, it'd be similar to a soldier going up to a general. One of the very first battles in the Pacific, at the beginning of World War II. And he's going up to the general and saying, before we go and, and out here, can I ask a request? Uh, when this is all over and when we're celebrating in New York one day and they're doing a ticker tape parade, uh, uh, can you make sure that I'm in that, that guest you know, car sitting in the seat of honor right there with you? Can you make sure that happens? I mean, what would a general say if a private asked him that? That's very similar to what's happening here. Here's these disciples asking for this position of honor. They've not done anything to get any kind of honor. Not to this point, anyway. They did not even have a clue, really, what they're asking. They want honor and greatness, but they've not counted the cost. They barely entered the contest, and they're already ready for the victory celebration. So Jesus asked them, he said, guys, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to do that? Now, what is Jesus talking about? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Well, Jesus uses the same language we know when he's getting ready to be arrested in the garden. And he's praying. And what does he say? Jesus says these words, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about this cup. He's talking about this coming suffering. He's talking about the fact that he's getting ready to be put on a cross. And at the cross, when he's on the cross, he's going to face the full wrath of God. He says, guys, do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're asking? Can you drink this cup? And look how arrogant they respond. Oh, yeah, 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 we can do it. It's interesting what he says in response. He says, you will drink my cup. <laughs> You're right. One day you will. You don't have any clue what I'm talking about right now, but one day you will. And these, both these guys did. They suffered greatly. So Jesus is, is basically saying, guys, you don't understand. You don't understand what it takes to have true greatness, to have a position of honor. They were blinded what the true cost of following Jesus truly was. 
But we know that later on they did figure it out through their suffering. You know, I think it's interesting that this passage, Matthew recorded it, Mark recorded it. John didn't. When he was writing his gospel, he did not. And I wonder why. I don't know that. Maybe just in God's sovereign decision, he didn't have it in there. But I'm thinking, did he think back about this day and think about how foolish they were, him and James, to go send their mom to Jesus and how embarrassed he went well, right in his gospel because he was embarrassed about it. I don't know that for sure, but that's kind of, in some ways, what I think. You know, to drink the cup of Jesus takes us humbling ourselves. It takes us looking at others before ourselves. Just the kind of stuff our students are sharing, that they heard about leadership. Leadership is not about you elevating yourself. It's about you lowering yourself. To serve other people. And that's what Jesus is starting to talk about. What does it mean to be great? By putting others before yourself. I want to share with you. About a year and a half ago, uh, I was in Atlanta at a training. It was a small training. About 10, 10 youth pastors. And uh, the guy, uh, the leader, Matt, he had asked if anybody had any, any prayer requests. They wanted everybody to pray for. And uh, one of the gentlemen said, I'd really love it if you'd pray for my wife and I, um, we, uh, they, li- they live in Florida. He said, we're getting ready to, to leave and, and go uh, serve overseas as missionaries. And um, so anyway, you know, that was great. But then when he started telling us more, we were like, do what? He said, yeah, my wife and I have just been chosen to uh, go to the capital in North Korea. And we're going to serve there for three years, basically working with uh, the leaders' kids, teaching them English. And we're going to be living in a government compound for three years. We're not allowed to leave the compound, not allowed to see anything else uh, of North Korea except for the place we live for three years. And I'm sitting there just thinking, are you serious? You're going to North Korea? I just got through a couple weeks ago doing a secret church here. Uh, with our students, and we talked about persecution that goes on in the world. And listen, America's, we, we don't have any clue what's going on in the world, but there's a lot of Christians dying. There are for their faith right now. Do you know the last 16 years, the number one country persecution of Christians? North Korea. 16 years in a row. If you're caught and you're a Christian there, one of two things is going to happen to you. Either you're going to be sent to a labor camp to work for the rest of your life, not just you. But your family will be, be also arrested. Or you'll be taken and you'll be shot. That's your two choices. My friend was saying he was moving to North Korea as a missionary. Now, he was going to, to teach English, but really he was going to share the gospel. And, and we were like, how, how does that work? It's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. He said, they've already told me I cannot speak of Jesus unless... When the kids ask me a question about Jesus, and then I'm able to respond. And he said, I believe God is going to change lives. Now, I tell you what, there was like silence in that room listening and looking at this guy that was getting ready to leave Tampa, Florida to live in North Korea for three years. And the first thing that ran through my mind, I can just remember it. Is what sacrifices have I ever made for the gospel? 
You know, we talk about true greatness. It's impossible apart from sacrifice. There's got to be some kind of sacrifice if you're truly going to be great in God's kingdom. What are you willing to sacrifice so that other people can know the name of Jesus Christ? What am I willing to sacrifice? I, I, I left that, that day just feeling about this big. Thinking about how selfish I am, and I am selfish. To be great requires sacrifice. That brings us to our third point. Is kingdom greatness is measured by kingdom service. Kingdom greatness is measured by kingdom service. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. When the other disciples heard what was going on, that they were leveraging Salome to go to, to Jesus to get them a high place, they were mad. You might think, well, yeah, they should have been mad. That was wrong. They were, they were honestly probably mad because they didn't think of it first. They were mad to think, hey, James and John, man, they're going to be lifted up and we're getting left behind here. They were mad. And we know that was probably what they were thinking. Because here's what Jesus did. He kind of brings them all together. And he says, listen, I want to teach you there's a difference between what the world says is great and what God says is great. Look what he says. He continues on. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentile lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, he said, you see how, you see how the Romans do to Gentiles? They just... If they're in charge, man, they're going to let you know they're in charge. You're going to serve them. Look what he says, though. Verse 26. It shall not be among you. He said, look, that, that's the world's greatness. But that's not my greatness. It shall not be among you, he says. Look what he says. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. I cannot imagine what disciples are thinking when they hear this. Do what? Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. That would, they never heard nothing like that in their culture. But I tell you what, what, what about our culture? You never hear that either, do you? I mean, it's all about ourselves. It's all about elevating, applauding ourselves. It's all selfishness. Jesus says no. It will not be that way with my followers. He continues on. It shall not be among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Must be your slave. Jesus saying, listen, this is greatness. Not what the world tells you. Not what you've seen the Romans do over here. That's not it. You truly want to be great? Serve others. You truly want to be exalted in my kingdom? Lay down your life and give your life away. The world says, get people to serve you. Jesus says, minister to others. That's what he says. Whoever be great, you must be a servant. Whoever would be first must be a slave. Then he finishes in verse 28 by being the example. 
even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So how in the world do you apply this passage to your life? It's tough. Start thinking about your family. How do you apply that? If you're a husband here, how do you apply that? Well, I think if you're a husband, God's called you to serve your wife and to serve your kids. You might think, wait a minute. Man, we're the head of the household. You're exactly right. And the head of the universe said, serve. He said, don't, don't stand around and say, yeah, kids applaud me, wife applaud me. He says, no, give yourself away for them. Serve. Be the greatest servant in your home. I, I've, never, I've never seen a wife that resents her husband's leadership when he's the biggest servant. That's what God's called us to do. Whatever position you are in your family, with your friends, with your co-workers, when, you're, when people at work see you, do they think of you as being a servant? Or do they think of you as being somebody that wants to be served? We're different. God's called us to be strange in, in many ways compared to this culture. To give yourself away. And then I thought about how are we doing as a church doing that? We talk on a personal level. How are we doing on a personal level? But how are we doing as a church? Are we caring about this community? Are we certain about the community that God has put us in? Do we do things with no strings attached? Or do we say, yeah, let's do this and it will help us in this way? No. I believe so much in my heart that our community desperately needs this church. Desperately. There's families, there's, there's singles, there's teenagers, there's children, there's senior adults that are hurting and they need the love of Jesus Christ are the people in this church. And many times they're never going to hear it unless we're willing to serve. Unless we're first willing to lower ourselves down and serve, they're never going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are we willing to do it? Or are we willing to not just say, y'all come, we're going to have something here. No, are we willing to go where they're at and minister? I think that's what God would have us to do. And I think if, if we would be willing to do that, I think God would, would honor that. And God would bless that. And we would see life's impacted because of that. Let me just kind of wrap it all up. Um, you know, James and John, I mean, they kind of blew it here. But, but they did figure it out. Those guys went through a lot of suffering. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that James was, was executed by sword because Herod had ordered him to be executed John was kicked out of Ephesus for preaching the gospel and sent to Isle of Patmos where he basically was in jail where he wrote a lot of the stuff that he wrote in the New Testament was, was there in jail uh, these guys learned what it meant to suffer they didn't have a clue at this time but later they, they figured it out what about you? When you get to the end of your life, you know, I've done a few funerals and been to a lot of funerals and 
you know, you really think about what do people say about people at funerals? They don't talk about how much money they had or, or a lot of things that we want to honor people today. I tell you what, most of the time what I hear is things that are celebrated is how people gave their life away and served other people. You know why? Because that's true greatness. That's really what it means to be great.